Uh, good morning. We're so glad you're here, whether you're here with us at Renaissance or whether you're joining us online. It's so good to see you today. I'm Sherry Surratt. Uh, I'm married to Jeff, one of the pastors here on staff. My son, Mike, is the executive pastor here. Our daughter, Brittany, is one of our sound engineers at the back. We just make church a family affair. We love Front Range. And you know, uh, it's really cool, I think, that Front Range is doing a whole series on neighboring. Uh, we know that we need to be a good neighbor. We know God calls us to be a good neighbor. But you know, at Front Range, neighboring, being a good neighbor, is one of the top five core values of Front Range. We feel like it's so important. You know, before we dive into the series of neighboring, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just invite you in. Father, we invite you to just invade our hearts, invade our words, invade our thoughts, Lord, as we take a look at how to be the neighbor that you called us to be. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'll use my words, Lord, to speak to us in this moment together. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, how many of you, as we're thinking about being a neighbor, how many of you would, would admit, very humbly, of course, you are the best neighbor? I mean, when you walk around your neighborhood or your apartment complex, your neighbors just rise up and call you blessed. They applaud when you walk by. Anybody? No, me neither. How many of you would admit, rather, maybe you went say, I'm a good neighbor. I bring in my trash cans after trash day. I pick up any trash out of my yard. I pick up my dog's poop almost 100% of the time. I'm an okay neighbor. Or how many of you might say that there have been moments when you have been a terrible neighbor? Just me? You know, uh, we lived in Charleston, South Carolina uh, several years ago, and we had lots of trees in our backyard. And um, one of the skills I've never learned to do is to shoot a gun. And um, I told Jeff one time, I said, you know, maybe we ought to get a gun and maybe we could go out and do some, some target practice and, you know, uh, maybe we could have some fun. And he said, well, you would need to take lessons if, you're gonna have a, if we're going to have a gun in this house. And I said, oh, I don't, I don't want to actually ever shoot it. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to shoot anybody. I'm not going to, I just want to maybe go out and have fun and watch you shoot targets. And he goes, you need to learn how to shoot a gun. Well, one of our friends was listening to me, and um, they, as a joke, bought me a little airsoft, uh, little almost toy kind of thing that shot plastic bullets. And so one day, I was out in my backyard. I thought, all right, how hard could this be? I, I took my little plastic gun out there and it uh, loaded it up with my little plastic pellets and I was aiming right at a tree and, uh, you know, uh, two hands, I just was positive because I had seen this on TV, right? Squinching one eye up like a professional, right? And I shot several times at the tree in our backyard. And out of just in the periphery vision, I saw my neighbor out in the back in his backyard that backed up to, up to ours. And I saw him go like this. <laughs> I had shot my neighbor in the neck with a plastic pellet. A neighbor I did not know. They had just moved to the neighborhood. I haven't even introduced myself yet, right? So here was the moment to do the right thing. So I, you know, the right thing to run over, introduce myself, say, welcome to the neighborhood, right? and then explain what I was doing out there with the gun, and then just apologize profusely, right? 
No, I ran in the house and hid because <laughs> I was so embarrassed. And uh, Jeff came home and I told him what, he did, what I did and he said, Sherry, you have got to go over and explain yourself. You gotta, you gotta go over and tell him what you did. And so I did. The next time he was out in his yard back there, I made myself go over, I introduced myself, and you know, I just said, you know, I, I think I may have shot you in the neck, you know? <laughs> and he said, I was wondering what those plastic babies were, and I, oh, I'm just so sorry, right? And then I, I mumbled, and I, I, I invited him to the Easter services at our church. <laughs> he, he got away from me as fast as he could. I didn't blame him. It was awkward. It was awkward. You know, I bet you've never shot your neighbor in the neck. But I wonder if you've had awkward moments with your neighbors. You know, maybe you've met your neighbor who lives two houses down. And, you know, you introduced yourself. And then five minutes after you walked away, you forgot their names. Anybody? Anybody? And you see them again. And they remember your name, but you are scrambling. You can't remember their name. And so they call you by name, and then you go, hi, neighbor. You know, that thing you do when you know you should know someone's name and you don't? It's awkward. Or maybe a new family moves in right next door, in the apartment right next door to you, and you keep meaning to introduce yourself and maybe invite them over, but you don't, and a year goes by. And by then, it's a little bit late to say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. You know, being a good neighbor takes time and it takes intentionality. And for some of you sitting here listening in, maybe it comes easy for you. You never forget a name. You, you invite people over just as easy as anything and, and that's just so easy for you to do. For the rest of us, it's harder. And you know, we end up feeling guilty and we shame ourselves for not knowing everyone's name and whose kid belongs to who. We feel bad for not inviting them to church or even letting them know we go to church. And we say things like, okay, the next free weekend, I'm going to invite that new couple over for a barbecue, and that, ne that next weekend never happens. I don't know about you, but this message stirs something in my heart. I know I'm not going to ever be the best neighbor, but can I be a neighbor who makes a difference in my neighborhood? Now, we know we don't have to talk you into wanting to be a good neighbor. You do. We know that, right? But I want to say, here's what this message series isn't about. It's not about shame or guilt, about what you're not doing. Instead, it's about some really practical, easy ways that we can get started on being the neighbor that God called us to be. Things that we can start doing tomorrow. You know, I've already mentioned some of the things that are hard. We're busy. It can be awkward. It's hard to remember everybody's names. Together for the next few minutes, let's see if we can move past that. Let's see if we can uh, think about some things that we could go do tomorrow to be a really good neighbor. Here's the first one. And the first one, I'm a simple girl, so I just state it simply. The first one is to see. To see. We can all see, right? I remember a while back I had to go to the DMV to uh, renew my driver's license. And I remember uh, with the vision test, looking through the little funnel, and I couldn't see all the letters. And I squinched up my eyes really tight, and I couldn't, I couldn't see them. In fact, I was making letters up. Well, I failed. And so I came home, and I told Jeff, well, it's official. I'm going blind. And he said, how about if we go to an eye doctor, and we'll see what's really going on? So I did. 
I went into the eye doctor's office, and he put some drops in my eyes that actually made things worse. I felt like we were going in the wrong direction. But then he told me what was going on. He said, sure, you're nearsighted. You can see things close up. You can see things that are right in front of you. But when it comes to seeing things that are far away, like street signs, which might be critical when you're driving, you can't see those. And so he said, I'm going to prescribe contacts for you. And I'll never forget this. He said, I think you're going to be amazed at how your vision is going to change. I was amazed. I walked out of that office, and I could see things far away. I could see the expression on people's faces that weren't standing right in front of me. I could see colors. I could see shapes. I could read signs that were all the way down the streets. Kind of scary to think about me driving around before that, huh? I could see things. And here's the deal. Those things were there all the time. And I hadn't even noticed when they had started to disappear, but they did. You know, I think this happens in our everyday lives. We're good at seeing what's right around us, our family, our kids, our needs, our yard. We're good at being nearsighted in our own life. And the people out there that are far away from us, that don't live right in our circle, they fall away. You know, God's sight line is quite different. In Proverbs 15:3, it says this, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Now, at first, this verse might feel a little bit claustrophobic to you. Oh my gosh, God is watching my every move. He's watching to see what he can catch me doing wrong. That's not what this verse is about. It's about God's perspective. God sees you in your living room. At the same time, he sees that family down the street where the dad just lost his job and now they're having some financial trouble. He sees your kids at the same time that he sees that high school boy down the street who's thinking desperate thoughts because he's so lonely. Yeah, but he's God, right? He sees everything. I can't be God. How can I see what God sees? You know, one of the things that I think we need to do that is critical to being able to see is to create margin. We need to create margin in our lives. Margin is the ability to have a little bit of room to slow down, a little bit of space to think about what's happening and what we might step into. You know, when I think about creating margin for our neighbors, I think about the story in the Bible about Mary and Martha. And it's from Luke chapter 10, and here's how the story begins. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, why don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to get up and help me. And you know, when we read the story, we're on Martha's side, right? Like, why should she have to do the work all alone? And a lot of times when we hear this story, we think this is about making room to sit at Jesus' feet, making room to be in Jesus' presence. It is. That's important. But I think the story is even more about that. Because what Mary was doing was she saw the opportunity to join the people in the house to be able to sit and listen to what was going on. Mary saw the opportunity. And you know, Martha, poor Martha, right? 
She's the one who invited him in, but then she started to have second thoughts. Oh my gosh, I gotta fix all this food. Are we even gonna have enough food? And you know, uh, afterwards there's gonna be all these dishes to do. And I bet nobody in here is thinking about the laundry that I gotta tackle right after they leave. Martha had a busy life just like we do. Isn't this the way it goes with our neighbors sometimes? You know, we see a, a lady in our neighborhood or in our apartment walking toward us, and we think, oh my gosh, that's that lady that talks and talks and talks. This is going to be a 20-minute ordeal. I don't have time for this. Or we might see the neighbors that just moved in next door and say, you know, I could invite them over, but if I do, oh man, maybe they're going to be annoying. Maybe they're going to uh, invite us back over as a thank you, and now we've gotten into a whole big thing, right? We don't have time for that. And here's what Jesus says to Martha. Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. And here Jesus gets to the point, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Jesus is telling Martha, Martha, your sister has chosen to see the opportunity right in front of her. You're seeing the big picture, Martha. You're seeing all the stuff that's got to be done. Your sister Mary sees the opportunity right in front of her. What if we started here as neighbors by asking God to help us slow down, to have the margin to see our neighbors, to help us notice things we haven't noticed before? What if when we're outside and we ask for God to help us to see past that unmowed yard and the dog that barks all night long and be able to see the family, the guy who lives there, who's feeling so overwhelmed with his life, he doesn't know what to do next? What if we go outside and we ask God when we see this house where all the toys are piled up in the yard and in fact, some of those kids leave their bicycles out in the road and when you're trying to get home, you have to go around the bicycle to be able to even pull into your driveway. What if God helped us see past that stuff and helped us see an overwhelmed family, a mom who's just trying to make it through the day? To have God's eyes, what would it be like? When we walk around our neighborhood, what would it be like to ask, God, who's lonely? Who's new? Who needs somebody to talk to? God, help me slow down enough in my life to see my neighbors like you do. Here's the second thing that we can do, care. That's a simple word, care. Uh, when we lived, Jeff and I lived in Houston, uh, way back, our son Mike was three years old, and uh, one Saturday, Jeff was out in the backyard, and he was mowing the lawn, and Mike went out to help. You know, parents with preschoolers, you know what that's like, right? And I was inside doing laundry, and um, it got to be about lunchtime, and Jeff came in, and he said, where's Mike? And I said, what do you mean, where's Mike? Mike's out in the yard with you. He said, no, no, Mike walked in the house. He's in here with you. All of a sudden, Jeff and I started running in different directions. I'm running through the house. Mike, Mike, where are you? And Jeff's in the backyard looking and calling Mike's name. No, Mike. And the thought occurred to me, did he get out of the gate? Is my three-year-old wandering around? You know, all of a sudden, I had tunnel vision. I couldn't think of anything else but Mike. My heart hurt. My stomach, I was sick to my stomach. 
and I couldn't think of anything else. The laundry, I forgot about it. Lunchtime, who cares? Where's Mike? You know, about five minutes passed, and we were circling the house, and we heard a giggle, and it was from some of the bushes on the side of our house. Mike had been hiding there all the time. And, you know, if you have ever misplaced a child, if you're a parent and misplaced a child, you know exactly how that moment feels like, right? Oh my gosh, incredible relief that you have found them. But during those moments when you couldn't, you couldn't think of anything else, nothing else mattered. Wouldn't it have been crazy weird if Jeff would have walked in the house after looking for Mike and if he would have said, you know, hey, I can't find him, he's not here, we're going to have more kids, let's just go ahead and have lunch. No way. I think I would have picked up something and thrown it at him, right? Mike, one little boy, was so important that it stopped every other thing that was happening around us. This is how God feels about your neighbors who feel lost in life and they don't know how to get home. This is how God feels about the people down the street, the people next door to you, the people who live across from you, who don't know him, who are struggling, who are hurting in their lives. You know, Jesus illustrates how much he cares when he tells us the story of how a shepherd who took care of his sheep, he came back after a day out in the field and he brought them all back in. He had 100 sheep and he started to count them one by one and he realized I have 99, but one is missing. Now, the shepherd could have said, I got 99. Let's not worry about it. You lose sheep all the time, right? That shepherd said, no, I'm going out. I'm going to go out. I'm going to search for that sheep until I find it. And the Bible says he did find it. He put it on his shoulders, and he brought it home, and he asked his neighbors to celebrate with them because he found a sheep. And here's the point of the story. What Jesus was saying was, every one is critically important. He doesn't look at your street and say, well, you know, the Smiths are believers and, and the, the, the Johnsons are believers. The street's good. He sees everything and he cares so deeply about what's going on in every single house. And, you know, Jesus said to the crowd after he told the story, he said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And Jesus is reminding us, you love what's yours. You lose a kid, you're going to be frantic to find him. Same thing with me. Your neighborhood are mine. And I care about every single one. What if we not only saw our neighbors like Jesus does? What if we cared like he cared? What if we woke up in the morning with the needs of our neighbors burning in our hearts? You know, but here's the problem with caring. Caring deeply messes with our lives. It messes just with everything we got going on and everything we got planned. It means that we're going to be allowed to be interrupted and we don't like to be interrupted. I remember one day I was in my kitchen up to my elbows, 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 excuse me. I was up to my elbows making meatballs and following this recipe, and I had just kind of gotten into the recipe, and I heard somebody yell. And so I went out in our backyard, 
and it was Ernie, our next-door neighbor, and he had fallen in his screened-in porch. I ran over to the screened-in porch. I couldn't get in. I ran around to the front of the house, and his wife, Marilyn, opened the door. And I could tell she was confused and, and upset, and so she invited me in. I went back and looked at Ernie and, and realized he could not get up. He was hurt. And so I went over and got Jeff, and we called the ambulance, and uh, we waited with them. And when the ambulance came, we put Marilyn in our car, and we drove with her to the hospital. And then we sat at the hospital with her and helped her call her daughter. And Jeff and I both realized she needed help being able to call her daughter. So we waited with her until her daughter got there, and then we sat and talked with her. Now, I've already admitted to you I'm not the perfect neighbor. As this was happening, as we were thinking about calling the ambulance and waiting with Ernie and, and, and um, Marilyn, here's what, what I was thinking. I'll just be really honest. What about my meatballs? Right? My kids need to be fed. Who's going to finish the meatballs? Right? I'm right in the middle of this. I had my Saturday all planned out. This is not what I planned. And you guys know when you go to the emergency room, now you're in an all-day thing. Right? Here's what I would have missed had I just called an ambulance and let the family take care of it. I would have missed sitting with their daughter who told us that Marilyn, her mom, was in end-stages Alzheimer's. I would have missed that her dad, Ernie, not only now had a broken hip, but he had bad knees. And he had trouble getting around and he worried all the time about taking care of Marilyn. I would have missed that their daughter worried all the time about her parents because she didn't live right there. You know, Jesus was such an incredible model for allowing interruptions in his life. In Luke chapter 8, we see Jesus in the most busy period of his life. He was sought out wherever he went. He would travel from town to town, and it said huge crowds would follow him. You know, he'd walk to the next town. Here they would come. And not just a few, but a lot. And so they crowd around him. They're calling his name. They're talking to him. They're asking him questions. Oh, my gosh. But the Bible tells us a story that happened in the midst of this. And it says, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Right in the middle of the crowd, here's this woman. She came up behind him, and she touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. In the midst of a crowd, a lady reaches out. When Jesus is getting uh, bumped and, and, and you know, crowded all around, and he stops and he notices a lady who touched him, and he says, who touched me? And, you know, right at that moment, as Jesus was walking along and, and teaching with the crowd, he had gotten an urna, uh, urgent request right before that. A dad had run up to him and said, Jesus, my daughter is dying. you got to come. Jesus, if you'll come, you can heal my daughter. Please come. Please hurry. And Jesus said, I will come. And this is the moment when the lady interrupts him. Jesus could have said, yeah, you're healed. i got to go. No, the Bible says Jesus stopped. And he looked at the woman, the woman who had had this disease for a long time, who nobody else wanted to be around, looked at this woman and said, Woman, your faith has saved you. You are healed. And then he went on. You know, to care like Jesus does, we have to be willing to be interrupted. So we can see. We can care. And here's the third one. We can pray. 
I recently went to a conference where they talked about the concept of praying for people by name. In fact, they talked about what if we had city takeovers where we prayed for everybody in our city by name? Could we do that? And you know, I thought about it. I thought, well, I've been praying for my neighbors, and since I can't remember people's names, I sometimes pray generically, but that's okay because God knows their name. God knows who they are, right? I recently met a pastor at this conference who's passionate about starting a movement where where people pray for everyone in their city by name. And he talked about the importance of names, but he also talked about prayer and what prayer is. And here's what he said. Prayer changes our heart. It changes our perspective. When we pray to the God who created us, it connects us with his heart. When we pray for people by name, God moves in our hearts to care like he does. To care like he does. Names matter. God knows every name in this place. He knows every name in your neighborhood. And when someone speaks your name, don't you notice? Don't you love it when somebody that you haven't seen in a long time comes up to you and says your name and you think, wow, I'm known to them. They know my name. I have a a friend uh, named Danielle. She cuts my hair. And um, she cuts lots of people's hair, right? But, but I go to see her. And uh, uh, one time when I went to see her about two years ago, I said, hey, Danielle, will you pray for my grandson, Copeland? Copeland uh, had been born with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. We've told this story before at church, and many of you prayed for Copeland. And she said, absolutely, I'll pray. And Copeland was in the ICU for a month, and, and, and he's doing great now. But at the time... We were, we were frantic. We just needed God to touch Copeland. You know, I went back to see uh, Danielle about six weeks later, and she said, how's Copeland? She didn't say, how's your grandson? How's Copeland? And every time I came back to see her after that, she'd ask the same thing. How's Copeland? Tell me about Copeland, a lady who had never met him, had never met anybody else in our family. It meant so much to me that Danielle was calling out Copeland's name in prayer. Let's take a minute and think about what if we prayed for our neighbors by name? Yeah, but I've already said how hard it is to remember people's names, right? You meet them, you forget their name. Now you're going to have to pray and just say neighbor. How are we going to pray for our neighbors by name? I want to talk to you about a tool that I recently found, and it's an app And you can download it on your phone for free. And it's called Bless Every Home. And it was designed by pastors for this very reason. So that you, who, like most of us, don't know our neighbors' names, we could learn our neighbors' names. And what this app does is you put in your address, your name. Um, They don't send you anything else. They don't put you on a list. What they do is they send you a list of your neighbors' names in your vicinity, in your apartment complex, in your neighborhood. You can uh, tell them you want as many names, like just just send me five neighbors' names, or it will send you 20, however you want. Uh, It sends you a a list of your neighbors' names. Uh, No kids' names, just the adults. It organizes it in a map for you. So like people like me who are walking around the neighborhood, I can pull that up and I go, oh, yeah, James and Lisa live here, right? So it reminds me. And it's so cool because now 
We can change the way we pray. We don't have to go up to a neighbor and say, oh, what's your name again? We have it. We have a list. And we can pray through the list. Now, you can use it any way you want to. Uh, you can be like my 84-year-old dad who I introduced him to the app, and he prints out his list. You don't have to. You can take your phone with you. But he prints out his list, and he walks around in the neighborhood, and he stops, and he prays for people. Or you can sit at home with your app, and you can go through the list and just pray for your neighbors like that. The app will help you keep track of who you prayed for. It'll add more names for you. It'll even help keep track of who have you cared for, who have you shared with. It's a great tool. And you know what? This has changed the way I pray. So before when I would say, oh, God bless my neighbors, now I say, God, let me see Paul and Wendy. Let me see their children. Father, I see their son Aaron out in the yard. God, how, how, help me to, to know how he's doing. God, does Wendy need somebody to walk with? Is she lonely? Use me. God, does Paul need some parent encouragement? Use Jeff and I to be able to do that. Now, Paul and Wendy have changed in my heart from neighbors to being precious people that God sees and cares desperately about. Prayer does incredible things. Think about your street. What could happen if you just started with your five? Five neighbors. I'm going to pray for these five neighbors over and over again for a month or a week or however often you want to. What could God do through that? You know, have you ever wondered why God put you in your neighborhood, on your street, in your apartment complex? Why did he put you there when he could have put you anywhere at all? When Jeff and I lived in Charleston, I wondered the same thing. In fact, I remember saying, God, why here? Why here? Or why were we here in this neighborhood? Jeff and I were out walking uh, one night after dinner, and uh, we passed Stan and Emma Piscatelli's house. And we had been praying for Stan and Emma. We'd gotten to know them. We knew that they, were, they had been struggling with some work situations and some marriage situations. And so as we were walking past their house, I told Jeff, I said, I think we're supposed to go up and knock on the door. And Jeff said, well, you know, it's kind of late. It's after dinner. Their lights are out. Should we really? I said, I don't know why, but I think we're supposed to. So we did. We went up and knocked on the door. And uh, Emma had been crying. We knew something was wrong. And they invited us in, and it was a little bit awkward, right? So we didn't quite know what to say. And so we finally said, hey, guys, can we pray with you? And so I remember standing in their foyer, and we joined hands. And Emma was standing right next to me, and stiff as a board. She did not want to pray. She did not want to hold my hand. And we prayed anyway. And then we left. And it wasn't till a little while later that Stan reached back out to us, and he said, you know, that night, you guys came to pray. It was right then, right before when you knocked on the door, that we had said the words to each other, let's get a divorce. And they had decided that they were just, they were done. And Stan said, after they prayed together, that they said it was so good to hold God's hand along with you as you guys prayed. And we said to God, okay, God, we're going to wait. We're going to wait, and we're going to see what you can do in our marriage. It was about a year later that we found out that Emma had breast cancer and had to go through multiple rounds of chemo and Stan was right there by her side. It was about a year after that that we found out that Emma had passed away 
and had gone to be with, with Jesus in heaven. About six months after that, Stan sent us a long email. And he said, hey, I just want you to know. I know you guys prayed for Emma and, you know, God healed her by taking her to heaven. But I want you to know that the last two years have been so precious with her. I wouldn't have given them up for anything at all. I'm so glad that God moved and that God put our marriage back together so that we could have these last two years. You know, here's the deal. That, that story had little to do with Jeff and I. All we did was pray. But that's what prayer does. God did the rest. God made us go to the door and knock. God opened up the opportunity to be able to pray with them. Prayer is powerful. It opens the door for God to move. It changes our hearts so we can see and we can care like he does. You know, as we move into our time together, I want to encourage you to ask two questions and we uh, prompt you to ask these two questions every week at the end of the service. What is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? Because we're going to move into response time. This is my favorite time of our service every single week. This is when we get to respond to what God has been saying in our hearts. And maybe God hasn't said anything to you yet. This is a moment where you can just take a, a quiet moment and just say, God, what are you saying to me? I'd love it if you'd apply it to the topic of being a neighbor. God, what are you saying to me about being a neighbor? What do you want to prompt in me? What do you want me to, to nudge me to do? God, what do you want me to do about it? You know, in a minute, we're going to pray together. And after we do, the worship band is going to start and we can worship together. But you also get to choose how you want to respond to those two questions. We have places set up around the auditorium. Uh, one of them is our cross over here and over here. And this is where we come to the cross, where Jesus died for us, where all of our sins, all of our mistakes, he died for those. And maybe in this series or this message, God has been nudging you, you know what? You need to be more willing to be interrupted. You need to create some more margin in your life. You need to start really seriously praying for your neighbors. You can write that on the piece of paper, put it up on the cross, uh, give over anything to him that you want to, repent or ask him to help you. That's what the cross is there for. You might want to come to the candles over here. And maybe you want to say a prayer for a specific neighbor. Maybe as I've talked, God has placed a specific neighbor in your mind. And you want to pray for that neighbor over here. When we light a candle, it's just simply signifying a prayer that we are doing. You may want to come and uh, bring another prayer to God as well. We have prayer spaces. Um, I love this, the Front Range does this. Front Range puts up a prayer bench on either side. It's a quiet place for you just to pray alone, to get together with God and say, God, what is it? What is it you're saying? What is it you want me to do? God, speak to my heart right now. You may be aching and hurting right now about something going on in your life. You can come to the prayer benches or you can even come to a prayer partner that'll be standing down front and they'll be ready to pray with you as well. We have giving boxes at the back where if you're a regular part of Front Range, this may be where you wanna put your, uh, your tithe or your offering. We feel like at Front Range that giving, being generous is another way to worship. 
you may want to come to the communion tables where we have uh, little cups that have juice and a little cracker inside. The cracker stands for the body of Jesus that he gave for us. The juice stands for the blood that Jesus shed for us. If you're at home, uh, you might want to gather bread and juice right now to be ready to take communion with us. And this is a moment, friends, when we come and we get communion and we say to God, God, I remember. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. And he rose again and now he's my living savior. Thank you. As we've talked about praying for your neighbor and uh, asking God for help and these things, some of this may have been confusing to you and you may not know what all of that's about. This moment is for you too. God knows your name. God sees you. And it's as easy to become a Christ follower as praying this prayer right along with me as we pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather. Father, to gather in your name, to hear from your word, to hear your voice. And Father, for all of us here that are listening, Father, nudge us. Father, move in our hearts as to how you want us to be the best neighbor. Father, show us why you have put us in our neighborhood or our apartment where we are right now. Father, help us. Help us to be brave. Help us to see and to care and to pray for our neighbors by name. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you yet, Lord, you're calling their name right now. And Father, as they come to you and they bring their, their sins to you, they bring their life to you and they say, Heavenly Father, come into my heart. Father, be my Lord and Savior. Father, we know that you are faithful and you do. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you have done, all that you will do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to worship together. Please respond how you would like.